Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us again here at the Sound Logic Podcast. And today we're discussing album number 72 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Greatest Albums. This is Harvest by Neil Young. We get to a little bit more Canadian content, but before we do, um, we're going to take a little bit of detour here. Uh, I want to introduce Brett Shevitz. Um, Brett, uh, our meeting was somewhat accidental. I'll admit, uh, we, uh, we, we've had a couple times on our, on our show, uh, a guest by the name of Brad Effort, who has a, a massive project called the RS 500 project where he and a bunch of friends wrote essays about all 500 albums on the 2012 list. While trying to find that website a few weeks back, I discovered Brett's website, which is somewhat similar, except far more uh, intense because he wrote all the reflections on all of the albums on this list. He has done this now twice, uh, one time to go through the 2012 list and just more recently, I guess, um, uh, to tackle the new 2020 list. Uh, When we discovered this about him, we thought, man, we've got to reach out and uh, see if he'll join us on an episode. Uh, From from your website, Brad, I see you list yourself as a professional music listener. (laughs) You're also a photographer. um, And we're really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time and and thank you for being willing to join us here on the Sound Lecture Podcast. For those who don't know you, um, how do you describe yourself these days? Oh, (laughs) well... As my website says, it's a professional music listener, and and I say that <laughs> in a joking way. Um, but I mean, I actually do get paid to listen to music. Um, so my day job is working for um, a record label in Australia. Okay. Head of marketing here, I, I guess, pr- promoting artists. Um, the, the easiest way I, I, I'd like to describe it is: I listen to music, and then I tell other people about it. Um, I like that. <laughs> We don't so, even get yeah, paid to uh, listen to music, so you got to teach us some of your skills on how you do that. So, <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've, I've been I've been working music my entire career, and um, when when I was younger, when I was twenty twenty one, I decided to start a music magazine with um, oh. with a, a good mate of mine, um, and it was just two young kids with an idea to, to do a magazine, and um, we did everything. We did the writing, we went to all the gigs, um, we did the interviews. Um, and we realized we needed photos in this magazine. You know, photos are very important to a magazine. We didn't have photographers. So I borrowed a camera off of our um, publisher and basically went and took a lot of bad photos and um, <laughs> <laughs> essentially taught myself how to take photos. Um, and it turned, I, I didn't grow up in Australia. I grew up in South Africa. And, and when I moved, moved to Australia, um, I was unemployed for a year. Um, I needed something to do in the interim, and so I just I had my camera with me, and I took photos. I went to as many gigs as I could. I think I went to over 100 gigs in that first wow. year of living here, just taking photos, um, just honing that craft. And, um, yeah, it, it's, music photography has become my night job. The record labels become my day job, and overall <laughs> just obsessed about music and oh, uh, listen awesome. to as much of it as I possibly can. That's awesome. Really happy to have you here. Um, 
it's I think we're setting new ground. I don't think we've ever recorded uh, an episode in which one of us is in a whole different calendar day. But being there in Australia, <laughs> it's Saturday where you are. It's Friday where Mike it's and fine. I are. So um, yeah. it's uh, that's an exciting thing. Um, we've, we've done some multi-country uh, recordings before, but I think this is the first time on a different uh, calendar day. Um, and I, I spent a semester in uh, in South Africa during my uh, university years. So some, oh, some other connections as well. Um, <laughs> can you tell us just a little bit before we dive into this iconic Neil Young album, um, what inspired you uh, to, to dive into this, these two lists, really, the 2012 list and the 2020 list in this way? Yeah. Um, I think pretty much the short answer is I was bored. Um, it was 2013. Um, I... Don't know. I, I just there wasn't much in music that was exciting me around that time, um, and I, I felt, um, you know, growing up in the, the era that I grew up in, and I'm assuming the same for you guys, where music wasn't as accessible, unless your parents or people you know had certain records, there was no real way to hear it, um, other than going to a CD shop and, and standing at the listening counter and listening to music or, um, mm -hmm. yeah, like I said, going through your parents' collection or getting friends to play things to you. Um, so I, I felt I, I missed out a lot of things along the way and I wanted to fill the gaps. I was bored, wanted something to do. Um, and so I thought I would go through Rolling Stone magazine's 500 greatest albums. Um, and why Rolling Stone? Somebody's asked me this previously. Um, <laughs> And I don't know. I think Rolling Stone is a magazine I've always um, admired. Um, I, I, I like a lot of their coverage over the years. I, I felt um, uh, maybe starting my own magazine and how it, I had a kind of similar start. Um, that, that, yeah, I don't know. I just felt a connection. And Rolling Stone is the one that, that I decided to choose. I, I felt Rolling Stone had a bit of a, a, a broad scope. Although that said, it is very 70s centric, uh, the list. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to fill the gaps. So I wanted to listen to things I'd never listened to before or revisit things that I did not because <laughs> I, I was stuck in a lot of my own music. Um, it, when I was in high school, I was very into rock. I would, if, if it didn't have guitar, I didn't give it time of day pretty much. So, <laughs> right. so I'm not, I missed out on a lot of things um, just because I had these preconceptions about what I thought music should be yeah. um, or what I liked. So I listened to the list and um, it actually, it opened my mind. It was like, like a key unlocking my brain to mm. a lot of things. Um, you know, especially I think hip hop is the biggest one um, that hip hop is something I never really felt a connection to, never really understood, never really got. Um, and I think it was, um, I think when I was listening to Public Enemy, it was either Public Enemy or Tribe Called Quest, where okay. I just sat and thought, actually, this is cool. I get this. <laughs> I, I, I get what they're saying. And um, from then on, like, I started listening to new hip hop uh, once I completed that 2012 list and, and um, started getting to artists like Kendrick Lamar, um, et cetera. Um, and yeah, so so I did that list. I, it took me nine months to do. I wow. felt <laughs> felt really accomplished. Um, it got to a point with that list where I was waking up in the morning, I'd listen to an album, then I would shower, drive to work, listen to another album while driving to work. Um, 
probably listen while I was working, depending on how busy my day was, um, drive home, listen to the album, listen to an album, cooking dinner. It, it just, it, it consumed my life. Uh, <laughs> and, and then back then I was just, I was writing little line by line reviews. It, it was nothing crazy. I, I think I started off doing like a three line review, just okay. typing in my mobile on, um, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it went on, I was writing more and more and more. And if I go back and look at those reviews, it is filled with so many typos because <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the time I was um, lying in bed writing reviews while listening to the next album, you know? Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, so I completed that. It, it, it was great. It was awesome. Um, I did miss it. Um, and it, it was nice seeing it come up in Facebook memories a lot. Um, on this day last year, you listened to X album. And as it went on, four, five, six years. <laughs> and then one day I was um, just scrolling through browsing the internet, as, as we all do, and I saw that Rolling Stone had announced um, a revised list of 2020, <laughs> in 2020. And, and this list was different to the 2012 one because the 2012 one, they had just revised it. They just went through things. Whereas the 2020 list, they completely, they broke it down. They completely flattened it and they revoted and started again. And I thought this could be cool. They've completely changed the voting panel. Um, I think there was a lot more younger judges on the list, yeah. um, a lot more current musicians. Um, and I thought it'd be interesting um, to, to see how this new list panned out and, and what the differences were to the, the previous list. Um, and so um yeah, I, I just decided want to do it, and and like I said, I thought I would do it this time properly. I registered a domain name, I um, I registered an Instagram, I started a Facebook group, and I I, I did it properly. I sat down and wrote <laughs> long reviews for each thing, um, which at the time was a great idea. You mentioned before we began that it some community kind of was built around it, like being more intentional with it this time. Exactly. I realized last time I was sharing um, my reviews to my personal Facebook and, and understanding this can be annoying to people that actually don't care. What? No way. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, there's people that don't care what I've got to say <laughs> or, or about the Rolling Stone 500. So, um, so I, I created a, a private group and um, I think I posted a message saying, I'm doing this again. If you're interested, join. Um, right. I think about it, 100 of my friends joined the group. And they started inviting other people, which was cool. So um, ultimately, I, I started um, having these conversations with people I'd never met, um, but who were friends of friends for the most part, all randoms who had found the page and requested to join. Um, but yeah, it was cool. We would just, I would post a review and then we would have, sometimes there'd be about 60 comments underneath of us just going through, talking about the record and, and um People not not necessarily disagreeing with my reviews, but debating. Um, good, healthy debates, and it was fun. And um, I loved listening to music. I loved posting reviews. But I think the best part of it was actually having the conversation, mm. conversations rather with um, with my friends and my new friends. Um, so yeah, that so I started again. I, I decided to do it properly. I decided to write review each review properly as a I guess a mini essay. Not necessarily an essay, you know, like yeah, yeah. two to three paragraphs. Sometimes there were some albums where I had a lot more to say and I ended up writing uh, a lot. Um, 
and, and, and that was actually a challenge in itself to limit myself, limit what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I started again because they redid the list and I was interested to see how it went. And um, unlike the way you guys are doing it, I, I go backwards. So I started 500 okay. and I worked my way to one. Yeah. And um, I don't look what's coming next. So that's exciting <laughs> in itself in that the next the next album is exciting it's like oh i finished this album i'm really excited to know what's coming up next it's like opening up a a birthday gift 500 times well and hypothetically if the voters got it right it should get better as you go too i guess (laughs) well yeah and i guess that's a whole other debate (laughs) yeah um when you when you did the 2020 list and you got to an album that you had already listened to on a previous list, did you write a new review? I did. Yeah. Okay. It was it was very tempting for me to go and copy and paste my old review, <laughs> right? Um, but like I said, I especially when it came to the hip hop records or, or music, which wasn't necessarily in my genre, um, mm-hmm. my opinion had changed or expanded um, yeah. since since the previous time. Um, I think Jay Z was one of them. Where I looked at my old review and I pretty much said. I don't like this album. I don't care for it. Whereas if you look at my review that I wrote last year, I loved it and I was totally right. into it because yeah. I, I understood how he produced it, how he put it together, what he was trying to say, the background of it. And um, yeah, I, I think I'd grown as a music listener. So yeah, I totally That's cool. rewrote things. I, I think we've both found that there's this uh, albums kind of build on each other. And if you don't know the full context of the era they were created in or some of their peers or things like that. You're not getting as full of an appreciation for it. Um, And you almost have to listen to every album before you can even start and begin and get the full (laughs) picture. Like, and I remember thinking that in grad school, like I wished that I had every class or every course already in my back pocket before I took the first one so that I'd have that wealth of knowledge in order to um, really understand what I was getting into. You, You know, it's impossible to do it that way, but, uh, yeah, it, I I love hearing that that the second time through becomes more meaningful or deeper or something like that. And and it's it's interesting what you say on on having context of a record. Um, you know, we we can listen to an artist like Jimi Hendrix fifty years later, and yeah. um, people who have never heard him or not really into him might listen to it and say, "What's so great about this? Mm. Everyone sounds like this. Everyone does this." But Hendrix did it first. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily did it first, but he made it popular and he yep. really took guitar to the next level. Or the Beatles, like everyone sounds like the Beatles. Well, what's so mm-hmm. special about this? But, you know, in 1962, 63, when they first started recording, they broke a lot of ground. And and then along with George Martin, really pioneered production and yeah. um, bringing strings into music. And, and, and popularizing that. Um, and you need the context. You, you yep. need to know that b- before that, people weren't necessarily writing their own music and then going in and recording it and um, and playing with production and figuring things out as they went. And, you know, it's so, yeah, you've you got to have the context and, and understanding to really appreciate something. 
I feel like we could probably pepper you with questions all night long, Brett, but um, <laughs> do you think, Mike, should we should we dive into the music here before we get going too far, or uh, is there anything you still want to ask? No, I I, I think that's a, a pretty good... I, I'm, I'm with you, Ben. I could just keep asking, but uh, maybe some, you know, more will some come, might out, come out. Yeah, right. Yeah, some will come out. We'll talk about this, and, and uh, we'll talk about this album. So, Brett, and Brett, thank you for, for kind of explaining kind of a little yeah. bit about you and, and this project. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to that. And it sounds like, uh, I'm hearing a lot of relate as uh, your journey. I'm hearing a lot of very relatable things as I think about our journey over yeah. the last few years. Uh, we've gone fairly in depth with most of the albums and, and because we, you know, recorded on a podcast and also have guests, you know, it's taking us a lot longer. So I'm envious as to how quickly you were able to, <laughs> to blow through the list but uh you uh, you also put a lot of time into it too so yeah. it's really coincidentally cool. both times took me nine months wow wow huh. yeah. that's blows my mind <laughs> <laughs> let's do some details on neil young's harvest album yeah. and then i have a few questions for you before we get going but uh and then we can keep going on the music but uh let's start with that sound good sure details 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 okay so we're talking about harvest by neil young and if you're listening and you're googling not to be confused with harvest moon which was another album by neil young but this album harvest was released february 1st 1972 on reprise records uh, all tracks written by neil young uh Neil Young had already become a, a very successful and well-known uh, folk rock artist, uh, so this did very well. It charted number one in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, France, Norway, Holland, and went was number one on the the Billboard uh, year-end chart in 1972. So it was the, according to that chart, was the best album that year. Um, to date, has sold over eight million copies worldwide. Um, this album has remained Neil Young's kind of called his signature album. I think that's maybe debatable, but his uh, one of his best known and uh, his best selling album. Uh, it spent two weeks on uh, at number one on the Billboard charts. Um, he released two singles, uh, Old Man, which went to number 31 and Heart of Gold, which went num to number one. Uh, he records this album and I don't know how many other albums he did but he his backing band so the consistent he had a lot of different artists on the album but the the backing band was called the stray gators um and i don't know if either you guys know if he any other albums have the stray gators he did a lot of albums with crazy horse neil young and crazy horse but uh, this this album was the stray gators i think on the beach might have had the stray gators which is the okay following um, okay. I mean, his his famous band was uh, Crazy Horse, right? As you said, um, but he actually put this band together for this album. Okay. Um, he had uh, so he was famously in Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and yep. they broke up, and that was the end of it. Um, and he needed something to do, um, and so he he. He went and found musicians and put the Stray Gators together. Uh, looks like uh, Wikipedia is telling me they were his supporting musicians from 71 to 73, and they backed him on Harvest and Time Fades Away, which was in 1973. Okay, excellent. Um, 
it's interest it's really interesting to me that Crosby Stills and Nash are all on this <laughs> on yeah. this album. So like yeah. they break up but they're still I guess uh good enough uh acquaintances. <laughs> I mean it, if you go into the details you won't find Crosby Stills and Nash all together on a particular song. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And they have this interesting <laughs> back and forth relationship like he was in buffalo springfield with steven stills and then that ends and then you know csn forms and they perform woodstock and they have neil young come on and then they do csny and then they break up but they're still doing stuff together so it's it's kind of interesting kind of back and forth Um, and i think um the the funniest thing which i I wanted to bring this up at, at some point um but after all these years and i don't think they talk much and and i mean i don't even think crosby stills and nash talk much but recently um neil young left spotify and right. who joined them but his old mates crosby stills and nash <laughs> so yeah. so they are still uh yeah, still traveling through time together right right yeah i I, w- I was gonna mention this later but you bring up spotify i was wanting to listen to this and prepare so i went to spotify and typed in neil young harvest and i was like did I type something wrong? And then all of a sudden I went, oh yeah, that happened. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I actually um, had to, uh, so I use Spotify um, 99% of the time. I had to use Tidal to listen to this one. Oh uh, yeah. I, I just went to YouTube. I don't know. Is that okay? <laughs> YouTube. He'll, he'll get <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He'll be, all, he'll, <laughs> Neil will be all right. <laughs> Um, I mean, he, he might complain about the quality of the uploads. It's not quite right. how intended to hear it, but you, know, you can't control everything yet. Yeah. That's right. Um, so as we mentioned, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash all appearing on this album, uh, alongside also James Taylor, uh, Linda Ronstadt, and the London Symphony Orchestra. So uh, lots of guests uh, on top of his, uh, his session musicians, his backing band. Um, I want to talk about the the artwork next. Any other any other notes, guys? Uh, kind of on the the production or, or creation of the album. I think you've covered it. I, th- I think it's worth mentioning uh, Jack Jack Nietzsche, who was okay, one of the producers yep. on the record, um, and he, he he worked with Neil Young throughout his career. Um, but his contribution to this record was um, on the songs There's a World and A Man Needs a Maid, which coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, are the two tracks that have the London Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack, Jack Nietzsche, um, he was a composer um, working in film scores, um, and he actually um, contributed a lot of work to the Exorcist film. Um and the, the musicians that worked on The Exorcist was the London Symphony Orchestra. So so when you listen back to those two songs, it's very cinematic um, and very big. And that, that was Jack Nietzsche's um, contribution to the record. Uh, that's, um... Amongst his, uh, his piano and his lap steel guitar. But I think in terms of a, a production and orchestration point of view, that's, um, that was his, his big contribution. <laughs> and... Yeah, that that I, I almost missed him because he's considered one of the uh, stray gators, but uh, but having a very specific role and, and connections there—that's fantastic. Thank you, Brett. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, kind of tidbits is the stuff we love. Um, 
I want to talk about this album artwork. Uh, it, it's such a simple, again, please, if you're listening, Google it so you can, you can see what it looks like. Such a simple design, yet to me, this is such an iconic album cover, an iconic image uh, with a, a kind of tan color with a, a kind of peach orange colored circle in the background, which to me is a, a harvest moon or or a sun or something like that. Um, and then Harvest Neil Young in very, very stylized script uh, writing um, would have been designed specifically for this. Um, and I'm wondering, was this, uh, to you guys, was this cover familiar? I mean, Ben, you, you own this, and uh, I'm not sure we'll get into kind of when you can, you kind of first listened to this, Brad. I, that's one of our next questions. But um, was this a recognizable album? Is it is it as iconic as I think it is? Maybe if you guys just get you guys to weigh in on that a bit. <laughs> I have owned this for a while, so it's hard to think back to a time when I didn't know this cover. But right. yeah. um, I, I, I'm pretty sure that our uh, mutual friend and, and former guest on the show, Dustin Wood, suggested that this was, if I was a true music fan, I needed to have a copy of this in my collection and sort of... Uh, uh, pressured me to buy the CD. Um, and I remember looking at the font and thinking like, this looks kind of like like a Western film uh, script or something like that. And thinking, really? Like this is, this is some, this looks old and dated and like a little bit too country twangy for, for me. You know, some of those teenage uh, assumptions I'm sure were, were coming into play. Um, uh, so, uh, I, I don't remember being like compelled by the cover, though, because I love the music, it's become an endearing look for me, but, uh, but certainly not one that I would have been drawn to because of its cover um, uh, early on. I definitely recognized it. Um, and I think it's just from pop culture. It, it's been around. Um, yeah. But besides for the fact of this cover, I think it's been copied. Um, by so many people, not necessarily yeah. copied, but people have been inspired. I think it's yes. the best word to use. Um, and there's so many um, albums since, or fest <coughs> festival artwork, or things like that, where people have taken inspiration from this and, and used it. Um, so it, it's very familiar to me. And it, I like Ben that you mentioned, you know, the country, uh, because that that is such a such a common motif throughout the album and the music as well this, this kind of very country sounds country and western sounds and ideas uh behind a lot of it and i think the cover uh kind of previews that or foreshadows that very well just a, a very quick aside here uh, before we move on um i'll show it to you guys but this is an audio podcast so you can't see this listeners oh, but wow. my lp copy has a love letter on the cover um uh nancy wrote to her honey and uh the ps says remember the days when we used to sit and listen to this album i love you xoxoxo and i thought Whoa. like the blank space on this cover really does lend itself especially when it's lp size to like you know making making some notes along the way uh especially if you're giving it as a gift to someone to uh to write a little something there so, so kind where, of a funny you find, yeah where'd you, where'd, you, where'd you get that that was an ebay auction it was part of a lot 
with some CSNY stuff too. And uh, yeah, so it showed up. I, I knew there was writing on the front and thought, man, that's okay. I'm, I don't really care how good of condition that's the cover cool. is in. And then got it and was like, whoa, this is actually kind of intimate here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, it's amazing as I collect records and get them at thrift stores and I don't know if you're into vinyl uh, Brett but I have an idea in my head because albums are older and people have kept them that there's something kind of sacred about the physical cover and as the yeah. more I collect the more I realize that's not the case people have their names written on I have ones where people have circled the tracks they like or highlighted them or checked them off we talked to a, a guest who had uh, the Beatles revolver and her brother her, her when she was a girl and her younger brother took it and and took a crayon and colored in all the all the it's black and white the pictures on revolver and he colored in all the spaces all these beautiful colors and at the time she was furious but she still has it (laughs) there's so many i have now and a part of me is like oh you know it's tarnished but another part of me is like well this is a piece of somebody this is a piece of somebody's history you know like almost like dog earing uh, the pages of a book like sure something significant to that person you marked it so so we're talking about vinyl covers yeah. This, is the, this is the Beatles' White Album. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's really depressing. If you look there, it's numbered. Oh, wow. Is, is that embossed? It's embossed in it? It's, um, it's like a it's, stamp. Yes. Yeah, 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 this yeah, is yeah, embossed. Okay. So yeah. it's the Beatles over there is embossed. Okay. But look yeah, at yeah. the condition of this thing. Yeah. It's an original yeah. pressing, numbered, um, and it's in terrible condition. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got it, and it's all about the music, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and somebody really enjoyed this. You can see. It feels yeah, more historic yeah. that way than if you bought a sort <laughs> of glistening, perfect, brand new pressing. Yeah. It's uh, it's not quite the white album. It's more like the brown album. <laughs> the coffee, coffee stand white album. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Primus. Yeah. Um, uh, I just bought. Uh, was at a thrift store and I and I found a bunch of great albums. The discs are not in great shape, but I found. Uh, Exile on Main Street, which is a double disc, uh, and and I opened it up, and both discs were there. But I didn't realize that each disc comes in a sleeve. Um, I think they were both in one sleeve, and it's got the track listings on it. And at the same thrift store, I found Sticky Fingers with the zipper on the front. So I picked them both, and that disc was in there, and I picked them both up. I didn't realize till I got home that. In Exile, each disc is in a separate sleeve, and when I opened up Sticky Fingers and pulled everything out, the second sleeve for Exile Main Street was in Sticky Fingers. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> it must have been the same person. So now I have this kind of complete package in Exile Main Street. Uh, again, bad condition, like kind of tattered, but it's kind of cool to have that. Yeah. Um, I uh, and I bought another one with like a a sale sticker on the plastic. I think it's. Uh, Elton John's Goodbye Elvick Rose, which with like a sale sticker from when it was released. Like oh, that's cool. Elton John's new album with the singles <laughs> this. And it's like somebody left that on there. That's cool. So anyways, <laughs> I'm going to stop because I will just <laughs> keep going. But but that that's a, a, a really cool part about about vinyl and kind of the tactile nature of it. So um, let me change gears here a little bit. So so Brett, when we when we emailed you first and said, Hey, you know, we have a connection here, kind of a kindred spirit here. Um, 
we'd love to have you on and we'll talk about an album and you gave us a list of albums yeah i'd love to talk about these yeah. and harvest was one of the next ones and we thought that would work um so tell me what is it about what's your connection to harvest uh when did you first hear it and and what made you want to uh, be one of the albums that you would want to talk to us about i can't specifically remember the exact time i heard it um I I can I know the exact time I heard Heart of Gold, which is one of the songs from the album. Um, when I was 12 or 13 years old, I found a CD which I still have. I've got it here actually. It's called The All Time Greatest Rock Songs. Oh, cool! Um, and on there, um, track number five, Nearly on Heart of Gold. Um, and, oh. and this was a, a good introduction for me to music. You know, it's got like The Doors, Breaking Through, Bob Dylan, Like a Rolling Stone, and it's really iconic songs. And, that was the first time I heard Neil Young. Um, and then probably probably about 20 years ago, I, I decided um, I, I've heard about Neil Young. Um, I like Heart of Gold. I've, I've heard a few things. I really want to get into him. So uh, this was the days before streaming. I just went and bought his greatest hits on CD. Um, and and that, was, um, that was the start of my journey with Neil Young. And I really got into that, um, really got into the music. And from there, I, I started going through individual records. And um, and like you mentioned before, um, Harvest is his most iconic, or one of his most iconic. And it, it was one that I just thought, let me let me buy it, let me listen to it. Um, and I've, I've just loved it ever since. Um, also, I, I don't know if either of you guys have ever seen Neil Young live. Um, but I mean, I, I saw him live for the first time in 2012, I think. Um, and, and that just took Neil Young's music to the next level for me, just mm. seeing him performing it. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just awesome. And, and I do, whenever Neil Young came up on the list and he does come up a lot on the list, um, I would get excited. I'd, I'd really get excited to, to listen to the Neil Young record. So, um, yeah, I, I thought you, you gave me, I, I think, um, probably about 10 or 15 albums and I thought Neil Young it's got to be Neil Young <laughs> yeah no that's great and and uh, I'm going to pick on Ben a little bit here who uh, I've I've jumped on it too but Ben maybe more than me has picked on uh, compilation albums <laughs> on this list but but it isn't it wonderful that you... <laughs> but isn't it wonderful that your your introduction into rock and roll yeah and then into Neil Young is both on compilation. I think I also have that um, greatest hits of Neil Young because I, I wanted I, same thing. I, I want to learn more about this guy, but I don't know what album to get. Well, I'll get that had just come out, I think, and I'll get it. So that kind of inspires you. I did the same thing with Pink Floyd, and then ended up buying all the yeah. albums. Yeah, me too. Exact same journey there. Yeah, they can be such a, a helpful way to get into a particular artist, and sometimes. You listen to the greatest hits and you think that's enough for me, I think. And sometimes yeah. you think, oh, I <laughs> got to go deeper. And, <laughs> get and, and going back to, to your previous point about context, sometimes I find greatest hits records um, to, it, it just gives you bite-sized pieces. And sometimes yeah. you can mm -hmm. only really under, understand a song when you listen to it in the context of a record. And that's Absolutely. why I love records so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go over to you, Ben. You, you have this album. And, and you mentioned Dustin, so you must have got it in late high school, early university. 
Um, is it one that has stayed in your rotation over the years uh, regularly, or was it just kind of when you bought it? Or what's your relationship with it? Yeah, it, it's a bit of a nostalgic uh, listen for me. Um, I learned to play the guitar in about eighth grade, and um, the, we had a music teacher at our school who offered free guitar lessons to anyone who was willing to drag their guitar on the bus to school. And um, and he started us, started us off, this small group of maybe three or four of us, with uh, Neil Young's uh, Hey, Hey, My, My. It's like, uh, I think it's two or three three chords it's a very very simple song if you strip it down to to just its chords uh i think it may it may be like gda or something like anyway um and so i think when when dustin said like you know you should have this album i flipped it over and was like oh dang that sort of like heart song for me isn't on here well i'll give it a shot anyway and then felt the sort of same feelings of like oh this is a guy really really singing uh, passionately and deeply, and yeah, he's Canadian. So, um, so yeah, probably <laughs> since since high school, uh, and and I say I I would assume it it gets played a couple times a year, although the CD mix is not great. There's some weird audio changes from track to track. Um, okay. Uh, so I, it was interesting to finally get the vinyl. My my vinyl copy is scratchy. Um, uh, Nancy apparently or, or Honey didn't keep the best condition uh, for their, <laughs> their albums, but uh, but I think the balance is better on this on this copy. Um, so I find myself reaching for the vinyl a little bit more than I used to reach for my my compact disc when I was heavily into those. Hey hey my my um that is uh, the song that Kurt Cobain quoted in, in his Suicide Notes. Oh. I did not know that. Boy, I, my music teacher sure was. Uh... <laughs> there you go. Well, the, the, the lyrics, the lyrics in that song, it's better to burn out than to fade away. That yeah. that comes from that song, and that was that oh, was Kurt sure, Cobain's sure. suicide notes. Oh boy, sure. Wow. Well, Ben. <laughs> um... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to bring it down. <laughs> no, it's interesting though. Hel- helps color um, a lot I, of my. Uh... Trauma from a young age. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why I've never really gotten into any Neil Young albums because he's an artist I've always appreciated and enjoyed any music I've heard on the radio. And I have the greatest hits, and I think I have a Live at Massey Hall album, but never felt compelled to, to get an album. So, so I'm ashamed to say I've never listened to this album start to finish. So some of it was new to me. Um, when I listened to it, uh, of course, there was about half of it I knew. Uh, so that, as you said, Brett, there's something exciting about putting on a new album. And that happens to us, oh, at least 50% of the time, Ben, maybe maybe more yeah. than that. Maybe certainly more as we go on. Two thirds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to, to push play on an album that you've never heard is is just such an exciting moment to me it's like this has been here locked away for 50 years away from me somehow and now i get or however many years doesn't matter but um it's exciting so well this one i mean i mean it's happened to me on new albums too (laughs) but um (laughs) but yeah you're right it just turned 50 and we're hitting that with a lot of a lot of albums even when we started in 2019 so a lot of 
especially the the 2012 list which was based off the 2003 list was very 60s 70s uh grounded so all those albums are are turning 60s some of them are close to turning 70 now some of the beatles and stones albums and other albums from the 60s so um yeah yeah, new for me um i guess we could kind of move into some of the music now and i wanted to first thing you mentioned the mix on the cd ben um when i listened to this and i was listening to it through youtube so i don't know where that that person who uploaded got it from and you know how many different times it's been compressed but i felt there was a lot of reverb on on his vocals and on the whole mix did you find that is that on the the vinyl as well guys uh or I don't know if you have the vinyl, Brett, but Ben, is is there a lot of reverb on his voice? Is that something he's done on this album, or is that just a weird thing that happened when I listened to it? I would lean to the latter. Um, okay. Though I think okay. there is some there is some layering of his voice, though. Like I think he he okay. must sing a second track at times because yeah. I think there is some similar to sort of CSNY stuff where they would like add in another vocal singing the exact same melody. I think he's done that a a few times in this album. Uh, No no songs like jump to mind immediately, but um, uh, that may be some of what you're hearing. Does he have three three microphones duct taped together like Blink-182? One like three inches back, so there's like an echo in there too. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Sorry, that's that's uh, dating myself. Um, yeah, and um, I, th- I think for me, and I'll start this off, and then you guys can jump in on some of your favorite musical things. I was really, being new to, to some of the deep cuts on this album, I was really surprised, and you mentioned this earlier, Brett, by the, the orchestral arrangements, the string arrangements. It was like... Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, some some bands have strings behind, and it just adds a, a, an extra level. But this totally transforms the the song and the album. I was like, whoa! I'm, these aren't just honky tonk songs with Neil and a guitar. These are like seriously arranged. And you mentioned um, uh, Jack Nietzsche yeah, yeah. Um, um, contributing to that. I was just blown away by by the complexity and and the just the volume. It was such a full sound on those string arrangements and yeah. and really changes uh, just the whole tone of the album for me when I heard that. You get one on the on side one and one on side two. It, it's amazing. It's yeah. almost like, where does this come from? It, it, it's out of nowhere, you know? You have mm-hmm. Adam the Weekend and Harvest, which are kind of uh, honky-tonk, country-esque type songs. And, and then you've got these bombastic, huge-sounding oh, yeah. songs with... with full orchestra um and and it, it really does feel like you've stumbled into a, a film you know you yes you're, like, you're recording this and someone's walked into a cinema and now you've got this huge score um along with his music especially following after the gold rush the album that comes before it um which i also own and, and really enjoy it's really uh, i mean it's it's also got a full band but definitely nothing with an orchestra. And I would, I would feel like that album that feels like a guy sitting with his guitar kind of pouring his heart out. Um, yeah. So he's, he's capturing the same sort of spirit, but enhancing the, enhancing the melancholy maybe with the orchestral arrangement. Like, 
oh, you thought I was a, a crooner on the last album? Let me let me really set some strings to it this time. Like, really yeah, flesh that out yeah. a little bit. And that, that's the great thing about Neil Young. Um, you can't pigeonhole it. You know, no, sometimes I have a, a completely acoustic record, and then he's got this massive grungy sound. I mean, you can almost call him the godfather of grunge. Like he yeah. inspired, I, I mentioned um, Kirk Cobain before, he definitely inspired uh, Pearl Jam, who recorded an album with him later on, uh, Mirable. Um, mm. But, you know, he, he's got these massive, rocky sounding songs. And, and like I said, if you've ever seen Neil Young live, he will, he will do a guitar solo for 15 minutes and he will just <laughs> totally get into it play with the feedback um then yeah you've you, you've got you know the acoustic guy is Neil Young but the massive distorted guitar guard and then you've got these songs which um are orchestral mm-hmm. and um you know I, I I think in in the 70s albums were probably um becoming more, more of a thing you know in the 50s early 60s it was singles then the Beatles came with the albums then you had Pink Floyd who took it to the next level production-wise, and, and you had Elton John and, and Paul Buckmaster, who was adding to the orchestral arrangements to Elton John's things, and and maybe it's just a product of the time to, to experiment and, and add these things to the music. Yep. Yep. Neil, Neil Young's not necessarily known for having the greatest voice. It's a little quirky. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the reason that we like to pick on... Uh, 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 are at least one higher hero, uh, and Bob, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, <laughs> and um, I really like it though. Uh, I I don't mm-hmm. really love. You know, they're they're somewhat similar in terms of uh, um, the poetic way they assemble songs. Uh, their their voice, not necessarily being like pitch perfect, but 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 using the emotion of their vocal cords rather than the, than like really nailing the note. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering if you can help me struggle through, like, is it just simply because he's Canadian, but why do I like Neil Young and have such a hard time with, with Bob Dylan? I know they sound different. It's not, it's not like we're, we're comparing the exact same thing here, but uh, I've realized in, in a more intentional listening of this music lately that it suffers from same some of the similar things that I criticize other things for, and yet I'm willing to tolerate them here. <laughs> um, yeah, I have some feedback for you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Brett. Do you do you want to chime in here? Um, yeah, I've always and I totally agree with you. I, I I've always found Neil Young's voice to be quite thin, um, and mm-hmm. and going back to our previous conversation, that could be the reason why. Um, they double track his vocals or maybe add a bit of reverb. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm totally with you. I, I don't think he has a traditionally great voice, but it works for the music. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I, I don't know the reason. I, I mean, Bob, Bob Dylan, um, I know a lot of people struggle with him and, and he's uh, got a very unique voice too. Um, Bob Dylan, and, and he's another artist who I came around to um, mm-hmm. in the Rolling Stone 500 Challenge. Um, you, you would have listened to a few of his albums already. He's another artist that features a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what specifically it is about Neil Young. Maybe it's the music. Maybe he puts the, the, mu- the music at the forefront and not necessarily his voice at the forefront. Um, 
because he he's an excellent guitar player. He's an excellent ex, <laughs> excellent songwriter, um, yeah. and and I think he leans on the music, um, and he knows his limitations with his vocals. He, he doesn't necessarily think uh, he's a an Elton John or a, right, right. You know, um, I, I don't think he leans on his vocal. I think he leans on his music ability. Um, and and maybe maybe that's it. Maybe he's just being authentic, and he, he's not trying to bluff his way through being a, a great singer. I I agree with that. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, as I've heard different songs, even modern songs on the radio, and think, especially with the um, things like American Idol and X Factor, and even America's Got Talent, different shows that highlight just a vocalist not songwriting ability not the song just vocal talent and you cannot make one mistake and your voice has to sound fantastic and i listen to some of these songs on the radio certainly a bob dylan or neil young or even someone like mick jagger who who has a you who can certainly sing but has a unique way of vocalizing yeah. and i think these people wouldn't even get past a screening interview on American Idol, yet they're some right. of the most celebrated and successful artists of all time. And I started thinking about the songs. And yeah. there's so much more to songs than the vocalization. There's certain things about songs that just grab you. Uh, and if you write a really, really good song, again, I'll go back to Bob Dylan, who's written just some absolutely amazing songs. It doesn't matter that he's not a great vocalist in terms of classical what we think of as a really good singer. I, I don't think John Lennon specifically has an, an incredible voice, but he's a great songwriter and, and it works for the music that he's singing. Yeah, uh, not not to some, certainly uh, I'll use American, not to American Idol standards, like a lot of these artists that we're talking about wouldn't stand a chance because of what that competition is. I'm not saying that's the way to judge vocalists always, but that's kind of what it has become today and still there's artists who release music that it's more about the song and the writing or maybe the lyrics um and i think there's so much in this ben in this album in particular let's talk about um so relatable the music is yeah. very good um there is something charming about his voice though and i remember singing a neil young song once and Nora looking at me and saying, you know, you don't have to sing it in his voice. Like you could do it like <laughs> you could sing it. You could sing it like Mike and it would sound a lot better. You don't have to sing it like Neil, which was her way of saying his. I don't like his voice. Stop imitating it. Just sing it in your voice and it'll sound good. Um, and you've even said that, Ben, when we've listened to Bob Dylan songs, I would love to hear this song done again with a different vocalist because I love the song. I love the lyrics. I love the music but I can't stand the vocal. Um, so I, I hear what you're saying. And I really, I, I've been listening to this album harvest and just been swept away by the whole experience of the songs in the album. And I totally yeah. forget that Neil Young can sound, uh, his voice can sound thin and nasally and wavery um, because I'm enjoying the experience so much. So it is, it is funny though. You're absolutely, yeah. it is funny that we can criticize one artist and say, I don't like this. And then listen to another song by another artist who does the same thing, but we just love it. It isn't yeah. musical. Just do that. 
that's the great thing about music, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Not everything appeals to everyone. And um, people get obsessed with, with certain artists, certain songs, and sometimes you can't understand, like, what do you love about this artist? There's really nothing appealing. But to them, the music speaks to them. And that artist and the lyrics speak to them. And, and that's, at the end of the day, that's all music really is. It doesn't matter how successful you are or how good you are. But if you're connecting with people and making people feel something, that's, right. that's all you really want. I Thank you both. I, I think that really helps uh, cl- clarify or crystallize some things in my mind. And maybe, I mean, we've talked a few times about... Uh, and I don't know if this is the same in Australia, but the Canadian government a few decades back um, started requiring a certain amount of Canadian content in, in certain media spaces. So yeah. I'm guessing we grew up hearing a lot more Neil Young than Bob Dylan. And, and maybe, maybe it's just this, like some, some of that uh, legislation actually uh, uh, helped us <laughs> have a more yeah. of an affinity for, for a certain one artist of the, over the other. Um, and and yeah, I think we're you know there are things there are things we're, that we do to try and justify what sounds good to our ears too. Like I I was really bothered uh, a few weeks ago by uh, a song on this album, um, "Man Needs a Maid," and instead of like dismissing him for for writing something that seems on the surface is really chauvinistic, I went and did like kind of an internet deep dive trying to justify why he would have written that, that album and like I, I learned some things to, to get the backstory but I think if it was an artist I didn't like I would have quickly said ah that's why they're uh, so, terrible you know <laughs> I, I, I completely agree with you and I'd like to read from my review um, exactly what I said because <laughs> okay. we, we could be in the same room so I said then we get to track a man needs a maid perhaps questionable lyrics which have always confused me a bit. The melody's haunting and the song is epic thanks to the accompaniment of the London Symphony Orchestra. I guess that, that, that's all I've mentioned about that, but the lyrics are questionable. And, yeah. um, you know, it's along the lines of, a man needs a maid to do my cooking and my washing. Um, <laughs> and, and knowing people, <laughs> which is weird, especially in 2022, you know? yeah. um, and, and I think, uh, you know, a maid, could be literally a maid who works for you, but I think he's he's specifically meaning maid and as in a woman, um, yeah. and he probably his intentions were probably good, um, and I, I think this album um, a, a lot of the the lyrics um, refer to his partner at the time Carrie Snodgrass, who um, who's the mother of Zeke Young, um, and I think maybe his intention was. Um, how much she means to him and how much he needs her and I think he was just saying he needs her I need Carrie but he He, he's tried to go back and say my life was adrift I needed someone to just kind of like give me structure and keep me organized and I think I think that was what uh, became a maid in this song like I need Mm. someone to like hold me together when I don't know which way is up anymore Um, yeah and uh, so, yeah, the, you, again, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm empathizing with him instead of quickly saying, uh, you, you know, he's just an old, uh, old guy who, who wants a, a maid. <laughs> um, probably, probably, yeah, classic old white guy. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's, yeah. it's like talking to your parents or your aunts and uncles who come from a different era and That's right. they say yeah. things. And it's like, your racist really? grandma. Yeah. <laughs> you say that? Yeah. Yeah. 
I find the song Old Man, which um, we mentioned was one of the singles from the album. Yeah. It's an iconic song of his catalogue. Um, and I find it interesting listening to it now because back then he was a young guy. Um, yeah. He would have been in late 20s, mid to late 20s, I think. Um, and he was singing about an old man. And he was singing about an old man looking back on his life. Um, look at my life, I'm a lot like you. But I, I find it kind of poignant listening to that now where Neil Young is in his 70s and he is... The, he is the old man from the song, yep. um, and he's he. It's it's like young Neil singing to old Neil, old man. <laughs> like, I'm a lot like you, and, and and I just find it interesting listening to that 50 years later, and um, I, I found it quite poignant. Um, also, on that song, um, th- there's something which really sticks out to me, and it sticks out in a good way. Um, in that, there's a a, a banjo solo which. Uh, not something you necessarily often hear in popular music, um, but that was played by James Taylor. Um, James you mentioned Taylor, James yep. Taylor on the record, and and he came in with a, a banjo solo, and, and Linda Ronstadt did uh, the backing vocals on the song. Um, and they had Matt. He was in Nashville. He he went to Nashville to do the Johnny Cash show, um, and they were both guests on the show. And I think he went and recorded the next day. And he couldn't find musicians because it was Saturday night or something. And I think he literally just called up his two new mates that he met who he knew were in town and, and brought them along to come and record in the record. <laughs> it's amazing. I love that. <laughs> um, um, Brett, uh, we're, we're going to need to get you to do something for us. And uh, anybody who's listened to the podcast before, you know we have a Spotify playlist. Um, and I guess... This could be a challenge since Neil Young's <laughs> music is not on Spotify anymore. But typically what we do is we pick two songs um, from every album we review and put it on our playlist. So this will be a theoretically, if we could put two Neil Young songs on a Spotify playlist from this album, which we can't do unless there's some sort of bootleg or live version we can put on there which we probably wouldn't do what two songs would you pick from this album brett well i'll tell you what you can um heart of gold actually is still on spotify because um that was uh, uploaded as part of part of a compilation i think a film soundtrack it was maybe each yes, play live think... or something like that so that's still on spotify um i, I know that because i play it to my son all the time hundred <laughs> percent so, it's got to be heart of gold um because you could argue that is his most iconic song. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that harmonica yeah. comes in, and, and like oh. I mentioned before, it was the first Neil Young, Neil Young song I ever heard. And I think most people know it. You know, mm, yeah. songs like um, like Man Needs Made or, or Old Man or um, even Needle the Damage Done, um, they wouldn't necessarily know. But I think Heart of Gold, everyone knows. Yeah. Um, I would choose that. Um and then I think Old Man, I think let's just go simple, go easy, choose the two singles. I mean, I love both yeah. of them. Um, Needle and the Damage Done for, for me is also, it's an intense and a, and a crazy song. Um, yeah. Probably not one you'd want it on a playlist. It, it's just so heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a tough one. A, a great, a great song, a wonderful song, mm-hmm. um, but fair, fairly heavy. Uh, good. So thank you, um, Ben. I don't know what you could do there, but because <laughs> this is yeah, this is different. There's some funny things on Spotify. There are like some fan made uh, covers of some of his songs. 
uh, uh, with like album art that says we miss streaming you. Um, so maybe we could put that there as a placeholder until his, uh, his demands are met or Joe Rogan retires or something like that. Or maybe we can just say, you know, this is a special episode where our two tracks are well, ones you're going to have to find somewhere else. <laughs> just, just having a look, Heart of Gold and Needle and Damage Down are both still on Spotify. So, oh. um, <laughs> well, maybe old man is not. Maybe, um, maybe, huh. maybe I just wasn't looking hard enough. Well, we'll, we'll do some work. Maybe we can find him. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's good. Needle and the, the Damage Down, I, I did mention that, and I know we've kind of moved on from talking about songs, but I can talk about this all day long. Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it's once again a, a very special and poignant song in that he it's about heroin and needle the damage done and he was specifically talking about um, his bandmate Danny Whitten who was in um, Crazy Horse with him who who was struggling with heroin addiction at the time and, and subsequently um, a few months after this album was released he overdosed and died from heroin. Um, which just makes the song even more. And, and I think Neil Young, I think I remember reading, he, he can't perform it live. He just, he can't perform the song because yeah. it's so difficult for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, I feel that it's so personal. Yeah. Um, it, it obviously is, but you, I feel that in the song uh, when, when I hear it, even when I heard it years ago and didn't totally understand everything about it, but knew okay needle it's about some it's about it's got to be about a drug even though i didn't know what drug or much about drugs but you can tell it's very personal um, and a very special song um even though it's it's heartbreaking i think he, um, uh, in memory he couldn't even bring himself to record the song for the record um it's the only song now which comes from a live recording that's right you're right it is live yeah i keep forgetting yeah. that yeah Kind of neat to have that in mixed in there. Usually, I I dislike them. I'm thinking about like uh, Simon and Garfunkel choosing to include "Bye Bye Love" on uh, was that Bridge Over Troubled Water. It just yes. sounds yep. cheesy with the crowd kind of clapping in the background poorly. Uh, but sometimes a live track can be a really powerful way to to add to an album. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll start moving. Uh, towards some, kind of some concluding comments here. So we sometimes I wonder if we're going to get rid of this segment, but we talk about the, we'd like to talk about the relevancy of this album. So it just celebrated 50 years uh, since its release. And um, it's very different rock and roll than what we would hear today. Uh, yet it's extremely influential. So, is it relevant today? And that's such a strange question. We, we might have to do something with that, Ben, because we always struggle with it a bit. But in terms of the music that's popular right now and, and being recorded, uh, how does this hold up in terms of relevancy? Uh, either one of you guys can jump in if you have a comment here. If not, we can skip. I, I, think, it's re- I think Neil Young is a relevant artist. I mean, he still has something to say. Like we... For Spoke sure. back with Spotify, he, he stands up for something. Um, he disagrees yeah. with Joe Rogan. He gave Spotify an ultimatum. I think Neil Young has always been an artist that doesn't care. So Spotify decided to go with Joe Rogan. That's their choice. He said, cool, I'm leaving. Um, yeah. And it's not about the money for him. I mean, he, he would yeah. lose 
he would lose money. Um, I don't know exactly how much, but he, he'd lose money from not having his music streaming on Spotify. Um, I think he, he had about six or seven million monthly listeners um, at the time when he left. Um, so, yeah, he's relevant and the album's relevant in that he stands for something. Um, mm-hmm. Also, you know, there's a big focus on, at the moment about climate change and the environment. Um, and when Neil Young originally released this album, he wanted the album sleeve to to be biodegradable once you took the shrink wrap off. Um, oh, wow. Which, yeah, that, that's something in, in the oh, 70s. Very progressive. I, I mean, I... <laughs> Uh, artists only started really talking about that in the past five, ten years, I think. Um, Neil Young was talking about this back then. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and this is that particular album, so, so maybe this was the first potentially environmentally friendly album. Um, the, the label overruled it. They didn't want to do it. They said it was too expensive to do, and they were worried about the, the stock being damaged. Um, but, yeah, he, he was talking about this 50 years ago. Hmm. He he's wow. lived a fascinating and a passionate life. I, I read uh, his biography a few years ago, autobiography, I guess, and uh, um, you know, not just the environment and music and life, but you know, his his uh, his music streaming service. I think he has like a couple chapters about why we need um, high quality audio in our ears in the digital area era. And uh, so, whatever he does, he's doing it with a lot of passion and enthusiasm. <laughs> exactly. And um, I, I think he used Joe Rogan as, as an excuse to leave Spotify, but he's always had an issue with Spotify because he feels Spotify yeah. compresses the music and always, it's yeah. not mm. he intended it to be heard. Yeah. Um, so I, I, think, I think Neil would be glad that I listened to this album on title. That's what Neil would have wanted. <laughs> he probably would. Yeah, it may, may have been a little upset that you didn't go to his streaming service, which is Pono or something like that, P-O-N-O. Yeah. But, um, I remember him going on the late night shows maybe a decade ago with this weird looking MP3 player Ooh, that was shaped like a triangle, yeah. right? <laughs> I think so. Like an oblong. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. It was weird. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things, especially in, in a, in a, a genre like kind of the, and this is so many crossovers, but kind of indie folk, which is quite popular right now. Um, so many acts yeah. out of the U S um, and and even some in Europe, I think that indie folk sound, alternative, uh, acoustic alternative. Uh, there's so many elements taken from this. Uh, the country elements, you know, the, the banjo slide, acoustic guitar, yeah. harmonica. Like like there are many genres today, uh, popular genres where where these sounds are relevant. So so yep. as much as some of the sounds and some of the songs are a little, and even even a vocalization like Neil's. Mm-hmm. is common i mean never mind in the country in the world of country like where that's not really a big deal to sing with a twangier or thinner voice um there's lots of artists who do it so i i think even musically it's quite relevant um and as much as this kind of sits in the rock genre rock world it's really not a rock and roll album like i wouldn't call it a rock album it's more of a of a it's a folk album it's a country folk album um and i think we want to say it's rock and there's there's drums and there's other things but it's not it's not the stones that well they did lots of country yeah. too it's not the beatles it's certainly not anything in the 70s like the eagles or or something like that or pink floyd or anything so it's um it's unique and relevant at the same time so i i'd say 
Ice, it's a yes from me, dog. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I would echo all that. I think the only thing I would add is that um, I feel like music always is relevant when someone's trying to push back at some of the dominant political problems. And, you know, singing Absolutely. about Alabama, you know. Um, oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. Heard old Neil <laughs> sing about her. Heard Neil putting her down. Um, yeah, that's you right. Know, you know, he he was willing to step outside of that's uh, true. You know, a safe lane here to to talk about injustice as he saw it. And uh, I think that sort of stuff always stays relevant um, when people are trying to to tackle systems of oppression. And, and he actually um, he, he said later on, and I think it's in his autobiography, that um, he listens back to the lyrics of Alabama and he doesn't agree with it. And and he I think he said he's quite embarrassed by it. Um, and he actually um, he gave credit to uh, Leonard Skinner, whose Sweet Home Alabama was um, was a response to Alabama. That's, mm-hmm. you know, he wrote Alabama and they wrote that in response to him. And, and he said, yep, they were right. I deserve that. <laughs> Just yep. a little too arrogant as an outsider? Was that the, the issue? Uh, I don't know. That's so interesting. I forgot that and, part and, of this. And uh, they've had a, a, a mutual relationship and camaraderie over the years. Um, yeah. They wear each other's T-shirts on stage and, and say that they appreciate it. And he said he was flattered to have his name in their song, um, yeah. even though it was sort of a diss track. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that, yeah, we didn't really talk about that, did we? <laughs> That's a interesting. Another bit of history. I mean, we could go on for hours and hours about that. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot. And, and, and Brett, you've shed light on so many wonderful things. Um, and one of the last things, you know, so this comes in an album. This is ranked number 72. This is Neil Young's uh, first appearance on this list. Uh as a solo artist um, so far, he, he does appear more and we'll talk about that. Um, but how do you feel about the ranking, you know, given uh, this album and its success and the other artists around it? Um, do you think 72 is fitting? Should be higher, Laura? Uh, we'll start with you, Brett. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I was happy with that. Uh, in the 2012 list, it came in at 82. So, um, mm-hmm. so it was bumped up by 10 spots. Um, yeah. And I, I like the synergy that the album came out in 1972 and it placed it num- at number 72. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty happy with it at that spot. Um, I mean, there's so much Neil Young in the list, as you will explore. Um, yeah. and, and you almost do get to a point of how much more Neil Young can I listen to? Um, <laughs> I, I don't mean that in a, like, uh, it's boring to listen to Neil Young, but... Um, each album, there's so much to talk about, and yeah. you know, you get to harvest, and it's like this is this is this is the big one. This yeah. is his mag, magnum opus. It's yeah, it, you know, yeah. Um, I do think it's a good spot. I think, as we said, it's an influential record. It's relevant. Um, there were definitely records that were more um, influential above it. Um, so for me, I'm happy with it at, at 72. It's so refreshing to have a guest who knows these lists intimately. Usually we, we apologize <laughs> and say you, should, you shouldn't be responding to this question because you probably don't know the list. Uh, Brett, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that is nice. <laughs> um, what do you think, Ben? 
I really like this. Uh, selfishly, I wish it was a little higher. Um, I think there's some parts of it that maybe feel like they're a little dated now. So, so maybe I can understand why it's here. Um, I don't, I know that he's influenced a lot of people, but this isn't an album um, that, you know, gets lifted up by, by tons and tons of artists in the same way that like, uh, you know, Michael Jackson's thriller or uh, the, the beach boys, pet sounds or um, Beatles, Sergeant Peppers, you know, it's not like it's, it's not that renowned. It is renowned. It is great. And it's yeah. influential, but, but it's not, it's not, you know, sort of top 10, top 20 kind of. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, those three of, records that you mentioned have influenced countless musicians. So whereas, much. So much. Whereas yeah. Million wouldn't be as far reaching. Right. 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 But. So, so maybe, so maybe I should feel quite pleased that it's this high uh, on the list and, uh, and just, have have that be content with that <laughs> just glad uh, to be yeah uh i i do agree with you though ben i think i would see it a little higher i mean heart of gold alone is such an iconic and well-known song old yeah. man as well and needle and damage done um and i think in general it's kind of a it's a it's a if not a decade defining song at least for that year was a uh, record was a you know one of the best albums of the year I can see it a little higher, um, but I'm okay with it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's in good company with some of the other albums around it. I'm not upset when I think of many of the albums that we've already reviewed that have come before. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's great. It's just, it's fine here. I, if it was even a 10 spaces either way, I think I'd be fine with it. Mm. Um, it's in good spot. It, it comes just before Bob Marley in the list. Um, and, you know, you, you can't begrudge Bob Marley for, for edging him out with Exodus. <laughs> you know, that, no, that, that was a protest record that just spoke to so many people. Yeah. So they're kind of kind of nice to be side by side there. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, and as we mentioned, one of the things we like to do uh, is just say is uh, – talk about any other albums coming up by this artist and this is as i mentioned the first one so we're going to talk about neil a few more times um probably his one of his other best albums is coming up at number 90 after the gold rush and then we have um rust never sleeps neil young crazy horse at 296 um and then we get on the beach at 311 and finally everybody knows this is nowhere uh neil young which i think is also neil young crazy horse uh so a few more times we could talk about neil and also deja vu by crosby stills nash and young is at 220 so uh he appears there as well so um we get to come back to neil a few more times which is fantastic he makes six appearances as, as a solo artist which um, right tie third place with Kanye West and the Rolling Stones, um, okay. which I guess is a, a, another interesting conversation. Uh, uh, Kanye West is a very uh, divisive artist, and mm-hmm. I think people either love him or hate him. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one. Having them having the same amount of records in, in the list—that's a, a, a whole other debate. I forgot that he had. We've done one of his so far, but I forgot that he had so many 
on the list. Yeah. Uh, Kanye, yeah. that's right. Um, yeah. So that brings us to our conclusion <laughs> of review of this album. Brett, we want to thank you so much for the time to talk to us about your project and, and bringing us so much uh, great information about this album and your passion. Um, thanks for joining us. And would you tell us again, where can people find your, your website? Sure. So um, uh, rs500albums.com is my website. Um, and from there, I've got links to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, d- depends on your platform of choice. You can go back and, and read through all my reviews. They're all up there. Um, I've also got, I don't have them on the website. I pr- should probably put it, but I've got it on um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I've, I've put up stats um, about each Ooh. block of 50. Um, okay. And then I did stats right at the end. Um, so, so, for example, this album came out in 1972. Um, 1972 and 1970 were had the most entries at 23. Okay. Oh, wow. So go take a look. At, I've done all the research. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, like I said, nearly only had six records in the list. Um, and, yeah, I've I broke it down in, into genres, in, into years, into decades. Um, the biggest change from the last list, the biggest, the smallest change um, – from the last list to how many new entries there were, the earliest year, all, all that. It's I'm a, I love data. I, I love interesting stats and pieces of trivia. So I just did it, and it's there. If you need a, uh, a record label, if you need a photographer, if you need someone to get nerdy about music, uh, please check <laughs> out Brett and all that he does. Um, it's been a, a real pleasure. Thank you so much for being willing and for joining us on this journey. Oh, thanks for having me. It was it was fun and um, awesome to, to just nerd out about oh, yeah. <laughs> a couple of like-minded people. Yep. Ben, why don't you tell us, just to conclude here, what do we have coming up next week? Yeah, we uh, want to say thanks again and uh, thanks for listening. Uh, it's been fun to talk about number 72. Uh, next week on uh, Sound Logic Podcast, we move on to number 73, which is Loveless by My Bloody Valentine. So we move from the 70s into the 90s uh, in music. Uh, so we hope you'll join us then. Um, until that time, we hope you, you are well. We hope you take care of yourselves and those close to you. And of course, we hope you'll join us right here on the Sound Logic Podcast next week. Thanks for listening and take care, everyone. Thanks, Brett. Thank All right, you. I'll quick stop and make... If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.